I'll give that to you. Oh, actually, do you want any of these like bars? Uh, Little snack bars? No, but these are sweet. Sweetest fish? I think I'm the only person that doesn't like them. We do a special Thanksgiving okay. distribution. We do like, some like small turkey breasts and sides and things that people could like make a Thanksgiving meal of in their rooms with no cooking facilities or like minimal like hot plates, microwaves type things. The first year that we did it, Easy and asked for two full turkeys because they do a community Thanksgiving. When people are living in situations like this one here at the Ponderosa or in the Easy Inn, there's a sense of community that I don't think we appreciate on a greater level. Do you need toilet paper? Elise Monroy is a lobbyist in Nevada. She is also a part of the Community Food Pantry, a northern Nevada nonprofit organization started out of a closet in St. Paul's Episcopal Church in Sparks over 30 years ago. In 2018, they started a program that was the first of its kind in northern Nevada, a mobile pantry that takes food directly to community members. I'm your host today, Alex Kurow, and on today's special Thanksgiving episode of Indie Matters, follow along to discover what a day looks like for volunteers of the mobile pantry. Okay. Would you like some meat? We have ground turkey, little smokies. Community members who received these benefits talked to me and reporter Carly Savageo about food security in Nevada in order to peel back the curtain and get a first-hand look at what the holiday season can look like for those who don't always know where their next meal will come from. Also, later in the show, we will hear from host Joey Lovato, who talks with reporter Amy Alonzo about how orchids are flourishing in the driest state in the country. As the holiday season is upon us, there are many festive days on the horizon, including Thanksgiving. And while many gather together and prepare the stuffing and gravy, fussing over the perfect way to bake the turkey, there are at least 74,000 people in Nevada who struggle with hunger at any given time. Nevada ranks eighth in the nation for food insecurity which is defined as the limited or uncertain availability of nutritionally adequate and safe foods. For John, who requested we leave his last name out of the story for privacy reasons, and who has lived in the Easy Inn in Reno for the last five years, getting food can be a struggle. Food's so expensive, man. It's hard to survive out here on the streets. John is one of the 14% of Nevadans who receive Supplemental Nutrition Assistance, or SNAP, which is a government-funded form of assistance to help low-income families, and is also known as food stamps. When COVID hit, the federal government granted families receiving SNAP a supplemental emergency allotment each month. But those extra benefits ended earlier this year, causing some community members, like John, to rely on other assistance as well. Like right now, it's the end of the month. You know what I mean? I don't have no more food stamps. Food insecurity goes beyond empty refrigerators and pantries. Food insecurity affects an individual's overall health and their well-being, contributing to chronic diseases and mental health issues. It 
also has negative social impacts. Feeding America reports that Nevada spends more than $500 million a year in excess healthcare costs related to food insecurity. The food pantry works to help people who are food insecure in northern Nevada, and it is set to feed more than 65,000 people in 2023. It started as out of a closet in the in the church. And just as the need grew it, during kind of the recession in 2008, we just more and more people needed foods. And since 2008, we've become a 501c3. We have like done all of the things to become like a legitimate fundraising organization. Elise explained that the food pantry is its own entity, and although it does have ties to other food donation services like the Food Bank of Northern Nevada, the community food pantry provides its own aid to the community. The difference in what the food bank does in terms of service and what we do in terms of service, it's like kind of a macro-micro difference, right? So the food bank have the logistics capacity and ability to provide community-wide food support at scale. So they support at schools and they support at other community locations. And the Food Bank of Northern Nevada serves the entire region. So what we serve is more of that micro direct face-to-face. Because we're smaller, because we're more nimble, it's easier for us to get into the community. Elise has been volunteering for the food pantry since it opened in 2008, and she volunteers for the mobile pantry every Saturday, serving community members at two locations, one of them being the Easy Inn, which is a weekly motel located in downtown Reno, where people can find affordable housing. This is where John lives. This year alone, the mobile service at the food pantry has served 6,509 people living in weekly motels and senior living centers. So at the Easy Inn, um, the line is usually about 40 or 50 people. And then we have um, like 10 rooms or so that we take food to um, because they're people that are just bound to their rooms and they can't leave. So we pack bags for them based on what we have. And then we have volunteers that are like runners and they get everybody what they need. Now distribution starting, so I'm gonna jump in. All right, so um, milk today, the Heather's gonna take really share. Had so this is a whole volunteer crew. Nobody's paid to be here. Uh, they load up the truck, we pre-bag food, we get everything loaded up, and then we set up these folding tables. And then we just put out what we have to give. I can get you going. I can get you going. Do you need toilet paper? Okay. So Linda in the purple, she's the most amazing person ever. And she has essentially been here every week since we've started. Every Saturday, she comes here. The Saturdays that she's like on vacation or out of town, she's dedicated her life and her time to coming here and establishing relationships. Linda Devon started volunteering at the community food pantry with Elise when it was just run outside of a room in their church. 
The only reason I'm not here is if I'm on vacation. Otherwise, and I missed it one time when I was sick. But other than that, I'm the one that checks him in. I really try hard to know him by name. Elise has similar feelings about building trust and making connections with the people they serve. You have to be there every single week or your clients won't trust that you're going to be there. And that that harms your ability to provide services because as as desperate as people are in need of food or medical support, if they can't trust the people that are providing the services, they're not going to take the services. For Elise, it is especially important to connect with the senior community. And I think it's important for seniors to have that consistency and that trust. Seniors face an increased risk of hunger due to poor health conditions, being homebound, having low fixed incomes, and facing limitations on their ability to obtain or prepare foods. Elise met one senior while distributing food that told her his inability to ride the bus to the local farmer's market prevented him from buying produce. He was like, well, I stopped going to the farmer's market because I stopped getting on RTC because the drivers made me feel really bad about the time it took to put the wheelchair lift down. And he was like, I, he said it made me feel like I just take up too much space in the world. And I was like, Oh, so food insecurity isn't just about how much money you have. It's like, do you feel comfortable getting on, like, getting on public transit? And for some people that are that marginalized, like, they just don't. One man we spoke to at the Easy Inn expressed how having access to produce through the food pantry has really helped him. I'm great. I'm grateful for him. You know, I mean, as far as, like, meats and vegetables and stuff, you know, get them every few weeks. But, you know, I work a lot, but I still don't have enough time to go to the store or nothing. Greg, who asked us to leave his last name out of the story for privacy reasons, works at a gas station just up the street from the Easy Inn. And he's somewhat of a new customer to the food pantry. He's been receiving help for the past five months. It's nice they bring it to you rather than you have to go for it. Because I, don't, I haven't had a car for five years. The housing crisis has also led to food insecurity. Las Vegas and Nevada have the greatest shortage of affordable housing in the nation, according to the National Low-Income Housing Coalition. And a quarter of Nevadans are paying more than 50% of their income on rent alone, not including things like utilities and water. So some people have to make some hard choices about how and where they spend their money. I remember this day we had potatoes and soup and we had given a lady a bag of soup and potatoes and she brought the potato back and asked if she could exchange it for another can of soup. And in my mind, I was confused because I thought, why would you trade something from the earth that you can get vitamins, minerals, like for like a can of processed soup? And I just said like, well, why? And she said, well... It costs me more to turn on my oven to cook this so I can eat it than it does to, like, just open up this can of soup. When people are living that on the margin, like, you're really thinking about every time you turn on your gas stove. For Linda, serving folks at the Easy Inn and other locations has given her a deeper understanding of food security and the needs of the community that she is serving. But we learned so much. Like um, We're like, oh, we're going to take them. Apples and carrots and kind of the first place we went, which is the next place, like, we don't have teeth. So it's we can't, really we can't eat this stuff. So you learn, like, 
Like when we're when we're packing the truck, oh, this isn't good for this week. Like today we looked at meat and it's like like there was some pork. Like you'd have to bake in the oven. It's like they can't cook this. Why take this? Take like the hot dogs. Take you know things that can heat in the microwave. At the Easy Inn location, Linda has some regulars. The first guy in line. He's kind of he's kind of sleep because a couple of people have been sick. But he's like, if I don't bring him toilet paper, oh, you're dead to me, woman. You're dead to me. But then bring him toilet paper. You're my favorite girl in the whole world. You know. SNAP does not cover things like toiletries, and so for many people like John, the fact that the food pantry is also supplying things like toilet paper, toothbrushes, and soap is essential. This is what Greg had to say about it. I don't like milk and stuff like that because I don't buy that. Sometimes toilet paper, but the fruits and stuff they give, you know. This holiday season, the food pantry is helping Nevada fight food insecurity and hunger. And not just hunger of the belly, but for connection and community by building relationships and spending time with their clients. They provide a special Thanksgiving distribution where they give out ready-to-eat meals, including all of the holiday favorites. When asked, both John and Greg said they would be participating. And for Linda, volunteering for the food pantry, it's really what the holiday season is all about. To make somebody's day, it's so yeah. easy. You know, just smile at them, say hello, ask them how they are. We had one guy who just had a massive heart attack just before his birthday and only 61. So we were worried, so we checked on him, we've made a delivery to him, then he came out and like, oh my gosh, you're doing great. And you know, he's, he's so pleased that we remembered him. All right, well, I have driven to a park to meet Amy Alonzo. Hi, Amy, how's it going? Good, how are you doing today, Joy? I'm good, you and me are walking around the park right now. And we're, we're outside because we're talking about something that is outside in Nevada and something that's pretty unique in Nevada, which is the, the Nevada orchid. There's a bunch of different species of orchid, right, here in the state? Yeah, something, 13 or 14, depending who you ask. There's a little bit of controversy over the 14th <laughs> one, whether or not it's a unique species or not. But um, yeah, more than a dozen and more than Hawaii, which only has three native species of orchid. Nevada, many more species than yeah. <laughs> We're here in the middle of a park in Reno. I don't think we're going to see any orchids here, right? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> okay, so where are these orchids found then in the state? All over. Uh, there's an initiative by a couple scientists over at DRI to try and get like a better understanding of our orchids. So there's been really very little study done about them. There's a a website that they use called iNaturalist and it's kind of where just if you or I were out on a hike and we saw an orchid and knew that that's what it was we could log it on there okay. and that has basically been a lot of what the monitoring of Nevada's orchids has been and there there is official record of the species has, has been identified here or there but there hasn't been like a really solid database of, oh, there's a huge pocket of this growing here, there's mm -hmm. a huge pocket of this growing there. And that's really what they're working towards. There's some areas where it's a little more specific. There's one that grows in Ash Meadows down in Southern Nevada, and that's the only place 
in the world that it grows. So like that one is a very confined location, but a lot of them are still just a mystery up here. Yeah, and I mean, orchids are so. pretty delicate flowers, right? They don't last very long, they're pretty delicate. So it's surprising that they live in the Nevada desert. <laughs> yeah, they've adapted to some really specific conditions here, but they do tend to grow in our wettest areas. So, uh, so we're not going to be finding them like out in like the middle of the desert, right? In the basin or range area. <laughs> yeah, no, they, they still need water just okay. like any other orchid. But yeah, there's little pockets of them. Elko County, I think has the most, had eight different species that's been recorded there and actually seven different species in Clark County. You get up into the mountains up near Mount Charleston mm -hmm. or Kyle Canyon, areas like that, where you have a lot more water and they have been spotted there. But okay. studying them is a little bit hard. They spend most of their lives underground. And so if you are a scientist and you want to study an orchid and you're like, oh, some have been reported in this area, you now have to time it when those orchids have chosen to grow, bloom, etc. Got it. And if you've ever tried to grow one in your house, which I have, <laughs> um, they're really finicky. And so they come from the store with this beautiful bloom and then the bloom falls off and then you just stare at it for years and decide whether or not you're going to keep watering it or just <laughs> let it happens. go, see what happens. <laughs> and so that's kind of what the scientists are dealing with is one of the DRI scientists did go out on a trip. She knew where some had been reported. She didn't find anything. It was okay. just whether it was the wrong time, not enough water, too much water, nothing was blooming at the time. So it's going to be really hard to study them. Got it. And DRI, the Desert Research Institute, they've got this kind of this plan to study orchids in Nevada and, and understand them more. They have so many projects going on there. Like anytime you talk to them, they have hundreds of things they're working on. So you said like these orchids are growing in some of the wetter parts of the state. Wetlands are probably not something that people think about when they think of Nevada. Definitely not. I was actually really surprised when I learned that there is a decent percentage of Nevada, I mean, for for being the driest state in the Union, but it's somewhere between 2 and 5% okay. of the state is wetlands. And so when you think about being just such a dry state, that is a pretty sizable amount. I think the problem we have in Nevada is we've developed over a lot of those wetlands. Got it. If you look at like the Reno area, for example, Truckee Meadows used to have a lot of wetlands that we've built housing and warehouses over. So that's really a big push by the DRI scientists is to try and study these orchids before development threatens some of them. Yeah, um, they were saying that they were concerned about mining potentially. Yeah, so the Ash Meadows orchids, there's a proposal for lithium exploration down there. Okay. And exploration involves some drilling, some underground water use, and the scientists are really concerned that there could be potential impacts okay. based off of the depth of the wells and their proximity to the wildlife refuge. Got it, yeah. Well, you, you mentioned you've grown orchids in, in before, or tried to, and you're, you're, you're a pretty accomplished gardener yourself here in the, a, a pretty arid state. We're coming up on Thanksgiving. You want to talk about, you know, kind of what you're growing right now and what works and what doesn't? <laughs> well, just as a side note, for anyone who read the newsletter when I originally introduced this topic. Your newsletter, Indie Environment. The Indie Environment newsletter. Yeah. I, I actually referenced my orchid that hasn't flowered in quite some time. Oh, no. And it is budding. And so I am, <laughs> I check it every day just to see how it's doing. But as far as gardening at this time of year, I actually... Over my lunch break, harvested some carrots from my yard, but it is definitely the end of the 
season for me. I don't have a greenhouse or a hoop house or anything. So yeah. tough time of year to, to garden in Reno, at least. Yeah, I have a little bit of lettuce and a little bit of carrots left and a lot of leaves. All right. Yeah, a lot of leaves to, to pick up. Well, I guess, you know, that's something to be thankful for, you know, kind of to cheesily ramp it up yeah. for Thanksgiving. Right. It's, to be, it's cool that we have this state with all this kind of unique flora and fauna and and environments for us to talk about and explore. And I'm sure, you know, we'll get to learn more about, about all of this and we'll talk more about it on the podcast as, uh, as we learn more, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm very thankful for Nevada. It's a great state. Thank you, Nevada. And happy <laughs> Thanksgiving, everybody. Who's happy listening. Thanksgiving. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Indie Matters. I want to thank Alex Kuro, Elise Monroy, and Amy Alonzo for being on the show today. The show is produced and edited by me, Joey Lovato, and Alex Kuro, with additional help from Michelle Rendells. If you want to support the show, leave us a rating and review wherever you listen. And you can also email us at podcast at theenvindie.com. Our theme song is from Emily Pratt, and we have additional music from Storyblocks, June Pearson, and myself. Thank you for listening to Indie Matters. I'm your host, Joey Lovato, and we'll talk to you next week. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs>